0: This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This
1: is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host.
0: Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me as always. Jeff Abercrombie, across the way. Jeff, NFL season concluding as we are recording this week one of the NFL season. Week two of the college football is in the books. So much to break down and talk about. How are you doing this evening, my friend?
1: I'm I'm doing pretty well. We uh we had a weekend away, so you know I'm actually playing catch up. But in the middle of it, you know, I had some access to uh you know so to some extra cable stations. So you know I got to watch a little bit more live than I do on the you know I usually do the cut up recaps on Sunday. So a lot of catch up, but a little bit of extra live live games. Um and you know it kind of sounds like. uh, uh, you know, ch- childhood bugs caught up to you there a little bit, Paul. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, definitely. Uh, we're dealing with a little bit of stuff going for the house here. My uh, my voice is uh, a little scratchy, a little bit of coughing going on. So hopefully, uh, we can make it through this episode without uh, too much coughing on my end.
1: Yeah, well, we'll manage it so you make it all the way through the fourth quarter here, and and I can drive us on. So why don't we just go go right into it, and you know, try and just maybe something a little bit new here where instead of hitting all of the names, because we have so many good college performers these days, I'm just going to highlight in a quick hit section, these players had notable games, and then we'll go into a couple of names that we've chosen to to go into depth. So just starting right off the bat for the NFL draft report, we had really good performances this week from CJ Stroud, from the running backs, Sean Tucker, Mo Ibrahim, you know, from Gray, he, he kind of took a took a lead role there. Corum took a little bit of a lead role there in Michigan um, and Addison and Mids both had huge games. But why don't we go into some names that we want to talk a little bit further about? And let's just kick it off with our marquee matchup. So on the quarterback side, uh, we had Bryce Young. We had the Alabama-Texas matchup and Bryce Young struggled a little bit in that game. I mean, he took him back in the fourth quarter. But what did you see, Paul?
0: Yeah, so when I watched that game, it was you had the the worst of, of Bryce Young, and then you had what makes him an intriguing, high level prospect towards the, the latter part of that game. When you watch Bryce Young play, first off, you're seeing a little bit a little bit of what Tua struggled with when he got to the NFL and he wasn't playing with those all worldwide receivers. And I think the jury is still out on Tua in the NFL. And we'll see now he's got Jalen Waddle, he's got Tyree Kills. So maybe it'll kind of settle it back into place and we'll see more of the Tua from Alabama. But you watch Alabama right now. They don't have the receiver talent that they've had recently. They have good talent. And some of these guys are going to materialize and be round one, round two guys. But they don't have the guys that were creating that instant separation where then Bryce Young could just be that distributor, that magic Johnson, that point guard who just kind of feeds all his guys. And the physical limitations of Bryce Young were readily evident early in that game. The His height being an issue, passes batted down, struggling to see things that were materializing. The, Arm talent being average or or above average, not like great or very good. You saw him really, really struggle in that game. It was the worst I'd ever seen Alabama's offense in the Nick Saban era. It's whole dynasty. They put it together. They made some good plays down the the clutch. And Bryce Young showed that problem solving. When when Dame Brugler was on a couple weeks ago, he talked about poise and his playmaking ability, not like uh, Lamar Jackson or Kyler Murray, but more of a guy who handles pressure well, is very poised, and solves problems. And you saw that down the stretch of that game. And I think people are going to be impressed with that. But there's also the physical limitations that if he doesn't have – I'm not sure at the next level he's a elevator where he can carry a team on his back. I'm not going to sit here and say he's a game manager, because I don't think that's true either. But I do think the way we see Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes basically be superhuman to make plays happen, that's not Bryce Young's game. And it's not going to be Bryce Young at the NFL level either. He's got to stay within the structure of what he can do. He can do things off structure and solve problems with creativity. That's his best trait but there are limitations to that. He's not going to be for everybody. There's going to be old school people in the NFL that look at Bryce Young and say he's not, he's not for us, but he's got some Russell Wilson. He's got some Drew Brees in um, in terms of sometimes how he plays in making things happen, but there were some issues that popped up in that game. we will be interesting to see if we see it pop up more throughout the season when he faces even better defenses than the Texans.
1: Yeah, and I mean, it's probably not what anybody's really going to hear because you're going to hear hype about Bryce Young and you know Heisman winning and willing to be, uh, you know, the the number one pick, et cetera. But you know, we Tua was in that boat at himself at some level, right? And then we saw him get to the NFL. And I still think too is a very good quarterback, but but like you said, there are some levels of limitations, and he can be a very good quarterback without being a transcendent level like a Josh Allen, and and maybe that's what people are looking for. And we, we'll we'll talk a little bit. Um, actually, why don't we just go into it? So we had another showdown on the slate, and we're going to just stick with the quarterbacks here. And we had um we had a Kentucky and Florida show off with Will Levis and uh, Anthony Richardson. And I want to go a little bit more in depth with Richardson um, because we talked a lot about him last week. Uh, You know, I I hadn't gotten down into the nitty gritty of his tape, but you know, we talked a little bit about the tools and I wanted to actually give listeners, you know, a bit of a, a deeper insight into how he's playing right now and where I see it potentially going. But to touch on Will Levis really quickly, He's somebody. When you look at him, you'll see the classic NFL pocket passer quarterback. Like his, and it's it's really interesting because he and Anthony Richardson are stark opposites. Levis had very clean mechanics. He looked very precise with his actions, and he has just this amazing deep ball pinpoint accuracy. And you, it showed up in that game um, on that long touchdown pass. Just you know, that's what you know teams will fall in love with. So, I do think we still can be talking about a scenario where Will Levis is drafted in the first round and maybe ahead of Anthony Richardson. But the trajectory that Richardson can go on, I think, is sky high. And we, we talked a little bit about it, but I want to give it more context. So, I, I did a two game deep dive of these last two weeks. And, you know, I went in with this with the hype and the highlights already setting high expectations. You know, as far as what his tools are. And I was still impressed. Like five star tools. We're talking, you know, the five tool athlete and baseball kind of thing. He as a runner, I saw Cam Newton level athleticism, power, and he was elusive in the open field. His arm talent jumps off the screen. So just the velocity of his throws, he can throw them at a low trajectory on a line, on a dot to his receivers. And the spiral is just the prettiest ball, the tightest spiral that I've seen in a while. And, you know, I added into his, his tools, um, his just vicious pump fake. So we all know the highlight play, but even earlier that game, he had just, it was like Ben Roethlisberger when he was young and he could just make an entire throwing motion. Like he'd chuck it, but still hold on to the ball and not let it move even a little bit. So, the rest of his profile, and that's what I've been saying, is a little bit high and low, right? So he's got inconsistent mechanics, and we see it on the misses on tape. You know, we've seen highlight plays, but when you look at his 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 game tape, when you look at his stats at the end of it, you, there's there's a little bit of an efficiency issue, right? Because he's missing throws here, and he's had, you know, from his footwork and where he sets um, and not squaring up to his throws, you know, he's had a few really bad misses. He's had a screen where he threw it behind the receiver for like a backwards lateral. And he threw it far too far out in front of his other outlet pass, you know, leading him too far forward and having a, a missed pass right there. And he's bouncing kind of with his footwork. He's, you know, this was a problem with like Trey Lance a little bit, um, you know, bouncing behind the pocket with his footwork and then, you know, missing the throw low. So it's, it's about, learning these nuances but when he has that dialed in he's absolutely lethal so when he like if he's able to just practice that more clean it up get it more consistent it's he's at a level that you could that could be the top overall pick of the nfl draft and then just from a nuances perspective is how he plays the quarterback position there's times he's dropping the ice in the pocket where he's not patient enough and he's missing receivers getting open on the play concept, right? He's missing crossers. He's missing deep throws where not even, he's not even making those throws. The, the receivers are coming open at the time, but he's already bailed on the play. And he's had when he's had the time and he's led, he's had a few really bad decisions. And he, you know, we, I don't know if those come out as much as the the highlight reels, but they were dropped interceptions too. So they don't show on the stat book and they, unless you've kind of watched that play live, you, you didn't realize that it was there, but I mean, it was so egregious that if they're not cleaned up, I don't see him as a round one prospect because he's absolutely missing players that are, uh, you, you know, that are there undercutting his roots that he should see. And this isn't even the pick six that you all saw at the end of the Of the game against kentucky too like that one you know i'm not sure if that's you know the miscommunication with the receiver there's a little bit more going on on that play but i mean he still has to see that coming right and that was the other thing is he's staring down his receivers a little bit he's not at a high level of manipulating defenders yet um so that's something where he could work on that a little bit more but again there's highs and lows here I've seen him, you talked about how you saw him get through reads and progressions, and he's going left to right, right to left, going through at least to the third option, generating positive plays, big plays down the field, touchdown passes, um, you know, going one, two, three, touchdown pass uh, to the, to his running back, right? So, and then on the, uh, even on his highlight touchdown run that he had the 50-yarder, right, the previous week, you actually see him hold into the pocket, shuffle forward with a really good base and just keep, keep it open, ready to, to do the long pass to his receivers as they're streaking down the field and they're covered, but he's, he's hanging with them through every possible window until, until it's that's gone. And then he takes off and runs and then he makes it happen. So that actually was, I thought a really good play first as a passer, then as a runner. So we're just, We're going to see a lot of ups and downs with him. I love the trajectory he's on. And I think the upside is worth the risk. You know, we talked about, do you get him on a Debbie squad? I mean, you really should take a swing here because like I said, his upside, if he cleans things up, if he gets a little bit more consistent is the top quarterback, the top overall pick of the draft, but he's not a lock. There is some risk there. And before we really like go into this every single week with them, because I know it's just going to be tempting, I'm personally going to just like, let this play out a little bit, right? Like, so growth, we got to be a little bit patient with. And so I'm going to give it a couple months and and then I'm going to go back and I'm going to see how far has he gone. Let's get to the, to the meaningful games when we're closing off for playoffs or a bowl game and see where he's at.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think you make lots of great points there and, You know, this wasn't a good statistical game. It it was a poor, poor statistical game. And, you know, all the concerns that that we talked about and things that he needs to improve and develop, they were were on full display. But at the same time, I think you just said we got to let we got to let time kind of evolve a little bit because. Everybody has their ups and downs. He didn't play much last year for whatever reason, Dan Mullen chose not to play, even though he probably, this should have been his second year basically at the helm. And maybe we would some of these things that we're talking about would have been cleaned up. Right. And it's going to take time. We, you go back and look at Joshua, Josh Allen of Wyoming. He had plenty of ups and downs, good moments, bad moments, Trevor Lawrence, even after his amazing first year there. I remember talking to Matt about the struggles that Trevor Lawrence had early in his second year as the starter there, right? There's, there's going to be these ups and downs, these ebbs and flows. And in this game in particular, one thing I do think is right now, he really feeds off of like, you know, like getting into like a groove and a positive, like, um, and almost like a, yeah, a, a it's mindset. His mechanics. Yeah, it's,
1: his, his mechanics, when they're solid, he's on a he's unstoppable on a crazy hot streak but but when he's when that lapse happens and it's kind of strung together he has quarters where it's not there but one thing like last week we could maybe say it was an an amazing statistical highlight game this week we could say it was a very terrible statistical game and what i'm seeing is i'm actually seeing his level of play in both of those games be up and down but i was actually very encouraged with his game tape this week, this wasn't a wilt under pressure or, you know, he just wasn't seeing it, you know, and, and he just didn't have it this game. Like there was a lot to really take away from even this game tape on a bad, bad game and say, I still see the potential of a round one quarterback.
0: Yeah. And to, to kind of close that on him, I also don't think the coaching did many great favors this particular week because That game was never really not not in a competitive game. That like they didn't really utilize his rushing ability, and that's what I was kind of talking about. When he's going through some of those funks where it's bad, I feel like the coach has to understand that and utilize that athleticism and legs to kind of get him going again. Cause I feel like right now he kind of feeds off of that. Like he makes a big play with his legs and then things kind of settle down for him again. And maybe he gets back into the rhythm that he needs to. And they just really didn't run him much this past game. And I kept waiting for it. I watched that whole game in its entirety. I got to watch that one and the Alabama Texas start to finish. And I I, I was surprised at the lack of design runs that they called for him, especially when he was struggling at times, and the game was still very competitive and very much uh, up for grabs. I think that's one of those things where a coach has to know his player and know that there's times it's, there's going to be ups and downs and put him in a position, kind of like last year, right? Justin Fields last year didn't even have a shot because they didn't even coach him to, to really have a shot last year. And I feel like this game, the coach kind of missed an opportunity a little bit right there. So we'll see. He's going to be fun to digest all year. But like you said, I don't think we know he has the raw traits. We know we need to see improvement in a variety of things. I don't think it's as simple as every week we're going to analyze and judge. Where is he four weeks from now? Where is he six weeks from now? Whereas the eight weeks from now, that'll think will start to give us a little bit better of a picture on where we're talking about the trajectory for him and the NFL draft.
1: Yeah. And, you know, he's got a long way to his NFL draft. So you mentioned that, you know, the other game you watched in its entirety, and I'll tee it up for you again, um, is is Texas, Alabama. And we had Jameer Gibbs, B. John Robinson. So not only, you know, highlights of the, you know, tons of pass catching weapons, but you know, we had these just stellar running backs, maybe the one-two guys of the class. And one thing that was pretty standout was Gibbs was only nine for twenty-two on the ground, but he had all the receiving work for Alabama. Nine for seventy-four and one, and a big play at the end to help them get in field goal range. Bijan had tough sledding. It was Alabama twenty-one runs fifty or twenty-one rushes fifty-four yards, a touchdown, but a big play through the air three for seventy-three through the air. So. When you looked at these guys, when you looked at Bijan against Alabama, when you looked at Gibbs and what he was able to do as the engine of the Alabama offense, what were you seeing? Yeah, I mean, I think
0: it was a lot of what we saw on film. I think Gibbs Gibbs' calling card of what's gonna make him a day two type NFL pick and a really productive player is he fits today's modern NFL to the T. Like I watched Amir Gibbs the other day, and he was the best Alabama offensive player by far. And at times, Nick Saban I actually think should have been getting him the ball even more. I know he ended up having those nine catches, so it looks like it, but there were stretches of that game where I was thinking to myself. Wireding not getting Gibbs the ball more he's their best offensive player by far he has a lot of Austin Eckler is the guy I kind of comp him to if somebody wants to say Alvin Kamara like that's the world where he's gonna live in that's the world where he's gonna translate to the NFL level I don't think. I think he's more Eckler than Kamara when I watch him play. If I'm going to, if I'm going to put a name in the NFL, but he's a guy that the versatility that he's going to bring, but more nuance as a runner, uh, a better frame than guys like a chain or even guy like James Cook last year, guys that I'm huge fans of. And anyone who listens to the show knows that Gibbs has that elite receiving profile. But he's also got more nuance and understanding of of the run game, running concepts, patience, you know, vision, stuff like that. So to me, his trajectory is only going to keep going higher and higher with with Alabama. Bijan, John, I think we saw it. he's he's still playing me on a pretty poor offensive line. I liked some times where he was hit the hole and and just get what I can get. And and I think he understood against Alabama, he couldn't dilly-dally. He couldn't try to make a big play out of nothing. And I know the stats aren't good, but there were times where I think he showed me, I'm just going to run and get what I can get, and I'm going to use my power here. And it might only be three yards, but that's better than a four-yard loss of trying to do too much. And then you, you saw the receiving capabilities. He's got that in his arsenal that he can run wide receiver routes at times. Like, you know, the big play that they line them up on the outside, you sort of body control, you sort of ball skills, like B John offers that capability. So I think these guys, even though the stats, especially the run stats were nothing to write home about. When I watched these guys play in this big game with defenses dominating for the most part, they still checked off the boxes to me as guys who are going to be high level prospects Round one, round two, guys. Top five running backs, and and I think we saw, we saw what what these guys bring to the table. And I think even in games where their run production wasn't good, they still showed why they're so versatile and and impactful because they can impact the game in another way, even if their run game isn't isn't working.
1: Yeah, and you know, honestly, for Bijan, I've never really worried about him as an open field runner. Um, it's always been, you know, what can he do from, you know, a nuance of the running back position? And these are the type of games that I I highlight, and I want to go back and actually do look at the blocking scheme, look at how the defense is is lined up, look at the post snap, look at what the, you know, running back's looking at at the handoff. What is his decision-making thought process? You know, and actually go in and dissect him at the end. and And it sounds like, you know, just from your watch through, that you know there's possibly some growth for me to see here, you know, from Bijan's perspective, um, which, which makes me extremely excited. Um, let me just go through a couple other, you know, really big uh big statistical uh weeks. You know, Raheem Sanders, we we touched on him real briefly last week, 24, 156, and two this week. Uh Deuce Vaughn, we we forgot to talk about him last week. 18 126 and one this week, he's coming in with 24 rushes, 145 yards, two touchdowns. So you're seeing a lot of workload for a little guy. Um, I'm not really sure. Again, not watching the Kansas state games. Um, so how that's coming, where it's coming from, but they're, they're scheming him the ball. They're getting him the ball and he's delivering. One of my notes on him was, uh, you, you know, even in traffic, he's a little guy, but he knows how to dance between, you know, between bodies, you know, within the traffic and still make the most of things. So I'll be excited to to dig into him later this year when we highlight him a little bit more. But one name I really wanted to touch on before I I pass it back on to you is Tank Bigsby. 13 for 51 and one last week was, you know, 16 touches, uh 147 yards, two touchdowns. And what I really wanted to highlight with Tank Bigsby is that he looks like freshman year, Tank Bigsby it looks like a lot of what was going wrong, not just with him, but Auburn in general, at least when it comes down to tank and his, and how he plays and how he's able to evade defenders, manipulate defenders, take advantage of creases or open space, um, use his athleticism. It, It just, it all looks back. And I just wanted to, harken back and say two years ago when we were looking at freshman Bijan and freshman tank bigsby these guys were the cream of the crop the top of the class 1a1b and tank bigsby looks like he did his freshman year so that ju- that should just really put them high on your radar one final name for us to touch and if you want to touch back on any of those names but i know you also want to touch on uh troy die out of usc taking on uh the lead uh lead role there as the running back 14 touches 105 yards one touchdown why don't you go ahead and dig in there yeah so Travis uh we talked about
0: him last week and we also said that like we didn't know how that situation was going to play out right a lot of guys last week got touches in that USC backfield and this week against Stanford he kind of emerged right 14 rushes and i think in that scheme the way they're going to spread it out the way they are going to have those great receivers. Die complements that as like that space back, a guy who you could stretch the field out three, four, five wide, you know, at times, and then like he can either line up as like a receiver in that five wide set. He can, he can motion back in to be the running back. So to me, I think we're going to see a lot of big games from him and it doesn't, he's not going to be a guy who profiles as a guy who's going to be a, 18 touch player, even at the next level. But I think if he's, he, we're going to see him, I think most weeks settle in that like 12 to 14 touches, even maybe in college. And I think that might be his role. He's eventually ticketed to, you know, at the NFL level, I like the combination of receiver and, you know, runner that he kind of brings to the table. Guys like that intrigue me. There was a reason why last year, you know, I liked Rashad white and I, I, like Tyler Beatty and, you know, guys like that, you know, who have that ability to impact the game in a variety of ways. I don't think he's a guy who's going to be power gap, but he's a a guy who can run outside zone. He can can be used on the perimeter. So I like that die kind of emerged this week. I think when the dust kind of settles, he's going to be the receiver that's most impactful for the Trojans this year in that high flying offense. I saw something the other day. A lot of people think they're going to be significantly favored in every game the rest of the year. So USC could be on a trajectory of an undefeated season in the playoff. We're going to get to see a lot of opportunity of Travis Dye, I think, during the home stretch of the season because I think USC might be one of the last teams standing in terms of you know going to the playoffs and having a real shot for us to see them against you know some SEC teams and stuff like that. So
1: I think it's going to kind of be a fun watch for, for Dye this year. Yeah, it'd be great to see them against the SEC teams, right? And in the past, you know, we've sort of been deprived of that because, you know, sometime down the line in the program, did get a Pac-12 upset, right? And that's just kind of what you get on the West Coast. And I think, you know, now with Lincoln Riley there and just the the way that that program is really trying to ratchet it up a notch, um, that's what it looks like, at least, uh, you know, with the way that they're uh, just loaded on talent across the board on offense. Why don't we um, switch it over to the wide receivers since we're running through on time here? Because I know that there's, you know, we we highlighted a couple big names that had big games, but I think we want to do a little spotlight on maybe some players who are struggling a little bit. So starting maybe just with Quinton Johnson, two for 22. He had a quiet game last week too. This week, the competition was light and TCU scored a lot of points and he just wasn't part of the party um another name too jermaine burton you mentioned alabama doesn't have any pass catchers right now i burton's a guy i loved coming in just based on a really limited sample size but i highlighted i love the way he attacks dvs and attacks leverage and i thought he got open two for 10 and and from what it sounds like it sounds like he wasn't you know playing at the same level of of what his promise was so Paul, why don't uh again, back to that Alabama Texas game. You know, is there any as you're watching Burton, is there anything you can shed some more light on?
0: Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's hard without like the all 22 film, but just from watching the TV coverage, it just he looked like Texas is not loaded with with, you know, DBs in terms of like you know, they, they've had three first round prospects and like in, in a matter of years, I forget they had the stat up the other day. It's like, it's been staggering. So while Texas is in the midst of hopefully turning around because they're good for college football when they're a great team, they're not this loaded defense. And like I said earlier with Bryce Young, their receivers weren't getting open and, you know, you know, Tyler Harrell, the speedster from Louisville hasn't really uh, played yet for them due to an injury. They need his speed because burden and the rest of those guys Jacory, Jacory Brooks like guys that are good players I just was surprised at how little impact Burden had on that game because I really liked him on film in the in the Georgia film and then he, he scores a couple touchdowns week 1 but you know week 1 Alabama was you know was was basically you know per se low level opponent so like you, you couldn't read much from that and then here it is against Texas an opportunity now listen he didn't, uh, Bryce Young didn't have a lot of time, but even when he had time, it, it, Burden was struggling to create that separation. Going back to what I said, like Bryce Young last year had guys that created instant separation. Right now, not that anyone thought that was Burden's calling card, but I, but I still am surprised that he struggled as much in this game. And I want to see now, like, more. uh, I expect more out of him. I have higher expectations for him. I think the people who are fans of him have higher expectations. It's one game. The wide receivers in general have gotten off to a very slow start. This 2023 wide receiver class through Week 0, Week 1, and Week 2, it has been relatively quiet, right? Jermaine Burden didn't perform this week. Uh, Quinton Johnston didn't have anything going in this in this game. Two weeks in a row now, a guy who some people think could challenge Jackson Smith and the Jigba, K Booty as the top wide receiver. We haven't seen anything from him yet. And that doesn't mean anything because NFL teams and I'm at the forefront. I don't I don't really think college statistics are too much of a predicator of NFL success, personally. It's more especially the NFL teams, its traits, its its characteristics and stuff like that. But I'm surprised, as the focal point of that TCU offense, we haven't seen Johnston live up to what we expected yet. He could instantly turn it on, but he's been he's gotten off to a slow start. Burden in this Texas game, underwhelmed. Josh Downs has missed two games due to injury. Smith and the Jigbas hurt. Keishan Booty barely making an impact on their games. Very slow start. Uh, I'll bring him up here. Gary Bryant out of USC looks like he's the clear, you know, third man there, or even fourth man at times. So I think his draft pedigree is going to take a big hit, whether he's got to wait it out for a year or transfer at the end of the year. Uh, the one name right now that's exploding is Jordan Addison. Not a surprise. He's a very refined player. He fit that, he fit that offense perfectly. He's been the one receiver. And you mentioned it before, Marvin Mims had a great game this week as well, but it's been a slow start for the wide receivers and Burden and Johnson are two of the names at that. And Booty, obviously another one. And Gary Bryant I'm not sure there's enough to go around there to, to, to bring the best out of Gary Bryant when you already have Addison. And then, you know, the underclassman phenom, Mario Williams.
1: Yeah. And you can only use TCU as an excuse for so long for why Quentin Johnson isn't, you know shining i mean that was an excuse of it last year he, he flashed and you watch his tape and you're like well he's a good player and you might still get there but you know we had we we thought that about Jalen rager right um uh, booty too you know booty i mean he shows up a little bit more this week you, you said if if you were uh kelly you were gonna come out and just scheme him looks i mean five catches 42 yards it just i don't know that he's uh I don't know that we're seeing the dominant player that Boutier, you know, is right now. And and that's something that we need to uh, we need to watch as the season goes on. Why don't we just go ahead and, um, you know, Michael Mayer had a, you know, 100-yard game and a touchdown. Um, we'll have some chances to talk about them. There's not too many tight ends that we're going to get distracted on through the year. So why don't we, running a little bit long, take this straight to the Debbie Slant and, uh, you know, just – my quick hits, Caleb Williams, Travion Henderson, both Ohio State wide receivers at Buka and Harrison, um, both had big games. You know, the other one I had here was worthy, but uh, I know you want to talk about him a little bit more. So I had him on my quick hits, 100 yards against Bama. But why don't you go a little bit into depth that, uh, you know, to to highlight him a little bit?
0: Yeah, I mean, I know people are going to be worried long term about the frame, but uh, I think it was Gus Johnson broadcasting that game and he mentioned the name and like, listen, the underclassmen guys, we haven't done deep dives on them. So like, usually I don't have like player comps for the underclassmen, but as soon as Gus Johnson said it, and then I watched it in that whole game, the speed, the releases, the, the, the package that he provides, he's, he's basically, in my opinion, on the trajectory of being Hollywood Brown 2.0, like that's who he reminds, that's who, uh, I didn't think of it. Like I said, Gus Johnson thought of it, but then watching him that whole game, it's so obvious. Like it's the natural comparison that when draft time eventually rolls around for Xavier Worthy down the line, that's going to be the guy I think you, you see and hear him come to a lot and his acceleration and his speed. It's just, it's instant. It's, it's something that it it's, it's disappointing that Quinn Ewers is going to be out for a while because I, I really do think, the Texas offense could have really hit their stride as he got more comfortable on their center and with Bijan John and Wordy. It, it was going to be fun to see that. And, you know, and then we'll see, you know, we'll see down the line. If yours is the quarterback there for the long haul, if another Manning is headed there uh, you know, another Manning in the, in the long lineage of Manning's, you know, right now Texas is the pick for him, but, but I think Xavier Wordy is going to be a guy that, he's going to be one of those guys that is compared to Hollywood Brown, that vertical slot player who, who just explosive. So I hadn't watched a lot of him. I just knew, you know, I, I seen him in bits and pieces, but what he was able to do in terms of there were other plays that the quarterback just blew that he blew right by Alabama defensive backs. Like Alabama didn't have answers for Xavier Worthy. And if their quarterback could have taken advantage of it, Texas comes away with that upset for sure. Uh, So I thought it was a really impressive performance for Wordy because just like Bill Belichick sets out to take out the best player on the other team in the passing game, I'm sure Saban was targeting limiting Xavier Wordy's impact on that game, and he couldn't. Wordy was having his way even against the game plan, probably game planned around him.
1: Yeah, him or or maybe Bijan too, though,
0: right? Well, yeah, Bijan yeah. for sure. But in terms of the passing game, like who who they didn't want him like beat him deep and stuff like that. Like I was surprised at how much he was beating them vertically. When I'm sure that was a point of emphasis, you know, in
1: Alabama's game plan. But I just don't think they can keep up with him. Yeah. So I mean, it. He is a player that um, I you know I think we have to really watch as potentially the top wide receiver coming out for his class. Um, again, frame definitely uh, adds to a different element of of prospects when you're you're waiting them out and who could be sort of that true outside threat versus the dynamism that can come from players like Worthy. I'm going to skip uh, Will Shipley. He had a good game. He had uh, two touchdowns. But uh, I want to do a little Debbie highlight um, before we move on to the NFL side of things and just put a couple names out there. One – you know, you've probably heard Nick Singleton. I mean, he was, I think, the top graded running back out of his class. You know, freshman this year, 10 rushes, 179 yards, two touchdowns, you know, six foot, 218 pounds already. So great frame, great size. And I mean, you hit the ground running. That's what we saw Braylon Allen do uh, last year. This is a great sign of things to come. Another name that may be going under the radar just because he's playing behind Zach Evans, but Quinshawn John, uh, Judkins um, is a freshman at Mississippi, 5'11, 20. And again, just 10 rushes, 104 yards. And, um, you know, he's got those those Debbie people, he's got their eyes popping a little bit right now. Um, so that's a, just a big name to watch for the Debbie radar. And uh, we, we go into deeper dives, you know, later on. These guys are freshmen, so we've got a little bit of patience here. Let's move on. Uh, NFL rookie report. So, again, just quick hits. Um, you know, really good games. Jahan Dotson, Garrett Wilson, Drake London, Chris Olave. They're all starting to be a little bit of a piece of the offense as rookies. Nothing major. We're not talking Justin Jefferson, OBJ. But, you know, they're getting five, six catches, 50, 60 yards, you know, Dotson with two touchdowns was really nice to see players that didn't stand out. Some people had some hype too. George Pickens, Romeo dubs, Christian Watson, Sky Moore, Alec Pierce dropped a touchdown. Watson dropped a touchdown. Um, You know, we're going to, they're taking a little bit of a rougher road. That's not, not always, you know, a concern when it comes to rookies, they've got to make their way through the, uh through the through development but we have a few um running backs that i think we should highlight again some uh derailed hype trains with uh james cook one touch negative two yards and a fumble lost and then we just didn't see him again damian pierce 11 carries 33 yards out snapped out touched by rex burkhead um these hype trains kind of went derailed is there anything that you're panicking on, Paul? Well, I think the Damian Pierce thing is a good
0: example of the pre... And listen, I, I think Damian Pierce is going to lead that backfield in touches it, but, by the time the year's over. But I do think sometimes the preseason has became more watered down than ever. Like there are teams that now punt every game. Like no, no players of relevancy play. And I do think Damian Pierce was going up against a lot of backups and you know, I, I bit into it and that goes against a lot of things I believe in, in terms of, I don't trust fourth round running backs. Uh I stay far away from him dynasty. Like, you know, we had this conversation last year, Michael Carter, who kind of is the reason why another guy that we could talk about, you know, didn't look as good because Michael Carter did look so good. So I still think in, dy- I think in dynasty, I'd be a little concerned about Damian Pierce already only because, yeah, it's it's Rex Burkhead who got like 20-something touches in a neutral game script, in a game script that they were leading, in a game script that they weren't playing from behind. Houston's probably going to be in game scripts that are far worse than that most of the season, and who's going to be in there when they're on more passing situations? It's going to be Rex Burkhead. So I do think there's some level of concern for Damian Pierce because I did think we we already expected him to seize had seized that opportunity. And we thought worst case scenario, he's the early down runner. He's getting most of the rushing carries. And worst case scenario, like it's a watered down, you know, like Nick Chubb usage in Cleveland. Like he's going to be the guy, early down runner, goal line runner. Yeah, he's going to come off the field and not be the pass catcher, probably. But we're going to get everything else with him. The fact that he lost out on so many early down rushes and lost out on, on positive game script touches to Rex Burkett, I think is a little concerning. The James Cook one, I'm not panicking at all. Because, honestly, I didn't expect him. The The, the tea leaves were kind of on the wall that they were going to start this season with a with a real running back timeshare. We had heard in the summer that they were going to give Zach Moss another opportunity Uh I went on the Harris football podcast and said, listen, I think James Cook's a guy you're going to want to get the second half of the year and buy him for next year, more than this year. And the truth of the matter is Zach Moss still looked like Zach Moss, slow, unathletic, and not really bringing anything to the table. They're not going to continue to give Zach Moss 11 or 12 touches a game. Those touches are eventually going to work their way to James Cook. I I have little doubt in my mind fumble we've seen guys in their rookie games fumble hit the sideline that's some coaches are like that others will let them work through it. Buffalo has such a great team I guess they don't really have to let their guy work through it and they didn't need a lot from him so I'm not I'm not panicking on James Cook. I think by the middle of the year we'll start to see him be very much integrated in that offense. Pierce I'd be a little concerned but I still think he's going to lead the backfield in touches just surprised on how much he lost out to rex burkhead based on the game script and and the type of uh work in terms of early downs that that rex was being utilized over him in
1: yeah for pierce i am worried mostly just because i think people thought he was going to take on the role and and that's what you had to have to be useful for the houston texans was was the guy who Kind of just got it all because he was better than everyone else. And it's not to say that Pierce, you know, isn't a good prospect and a good player and has a potential good NFL career in front of him, but you know, Rex Burkhead is a professional. They want the pass passing down protection and the passing roots and be where he needs to be and hit the holes he's supposed to hit. So I think even if Pierce starts to pick it up and even take the majority, I just think there's enough of a shared workload there that you're probably not comfortable with him, you know, in your fantasy lineups. And beyond that, I you know, we've what we've seen with Michael Carter. Um, uh, you know, fourth round rookie pick gets uh you know drafted over uh gets a Brees Hall drafted ahead of him and we have a really good class next year. So Yeah, you hit it with James Cook and and Zach Moss, um, and I think those touches will flip. So why why don't we just go to Brees Hall real quick? Six for 23 on the ground, uh, 10 targets, six catches, 38 yards. You know, Michael Carter was their first option, but it was a pretty even split, and the passing work uh, is, I think, very encouraging sign if you're waiting for Brees Hall in an opening for him to really prove what he's gotten as a playmaker.
0: Yeah. I'll say one thing about the past stuff. I don't think we see the jets throw 59 times no. again, the, any game this season. So I think the passing numbers, even, even like the, you know, Garrett Wilson, Elijah Moore, Corey Davis, like their numbers were all inflated today with 59 pass attempts and the running backs, we have yet to see Zach Wilson be comfortable doing that in terms of checking it down like that too, right? Joe Flacco we know is going to be good at that. But I do think what we saw at a Hall, while it was nice to see him as involved in the passing game, Michael Carter's not going away this year. And I thought it was going to be more of a 65-35 this year. And maybe by the end of the year, it even split more like a 70-30. I think now best case scenario for Brees Hall people is right now it was sixty forty Michael Carter. Can we get to a point at ever in this year where it's sixty forty 40 Brees Hall? I think now that's the question. Michael Carter is a good back, right? Like we, we talked about him a lot last year. I wasn't willing to buy him in Dynasty because of that fourth round draft capital, but Jim Nagy, the senior bowl director said there was a lot of you know, there was an injury that was kind of unknown to the public. And that's why he fell out around two. I mean, day two. So it wasn't like Michael Carter wasn't a day two running back talent. And they added another day two running back talent. And I do think it'll eventually skew towards Brees Hall. But there's a reason that I think you were with me on this take. I know other people were Kent Walker was a better natural runner than Brees Hall. Mm -hmm. Brees Hall, had more bigger plays. He was a mm-hmm. better receiver. There was more versatility to his game in college, but Breach Hall wasn't the best in terms of vision, patience, natural run instincts compared to Kenneth Walker. Well, Michael yeah, Car-
1: to, <laughs> to say he wasn't as good of a runner as Kenneth Walker, though, is like Kenneth Walker was an exceptional runner though. Yes. And, yes. and I do think we'll eventually get to like a 60, 40 split back the other way. Um, And you're right, you know, you're not going to get all the passing game usage, but even if you scale it back 20%, you know, that's still six to seven targets, which is encouraging. I do think you have a great point though. Zach Wilson has not utilized the running backs and, and that could be a major anchor for both players and San Francisco run scheme. That's what they're carrying over, right? These guys were, these guys came from San Francisco and they find roles for these players right? They're not going to necessarily commit to one guy. And and that could also just be a thorn in the side for both of them for a couple of years, even. Um, I still think Brees Hall is a very talented player. I'm not so scared that I'm running off of him. But, you know, I think those concerns that you've brought up are very legitimate.
0: Yeah. And I think I think what week one has showed us across the board is I'm not sure we're going to have any fantasy superstars from the rookie class in year one. Like, I don't, I don't think we're going to have usable players for sure. Brees Hall might very much be an RB two by the end of the year. He's probably already a flex. And, and I think we're going to have other guys like that. And even some of the receivers who had good opening weeks, right? I'm not sure we're going to have – I don't even want to say Justin Jefferson or Jamar Chase because those are extreme outliers. But I just don't think we're going to have guys – even Drake London, I think – Devontae
1: Smith kind of. that's yeah. a 1,000 yards about.
0: Yeah, like you know. Drake London. I think Drake London could do that. But that's in, – in today's NFL with how many good receivers there are, that's not even a wide receiver too in fantasy probably. That's probably a wide receiver for eight. I think that, that's
1: great for a rookie though that's oh, great.
0: oh it's absolutely great I'm just saying like I don't think we're gonna have the redraft superstar rookie this year that impacts mm. fantasy on a grandiose level they're gonna be guys that are starters they're gonna be guys that you want to get on your dynasty team they're gonna be guys that the trajectory could eventually be star fantasy players but I don't think there's anybody in the perfect scenario set up right now who we're just gonna see them. Gary Wilson, really good player, questionable quarterback there in New York. Elijah Moore and Corey Davis. You know, Drake London, a very suspect offense. I don't think you're going to see a – I think you're going to see a good statistical year, not a monster statistical year. Jahan Dotson, you know, I know he had two touchdowns this week, and I love him as a player, but you started to return to Curtis Samuel being the thing. Yeah. Terry McLaurin's there. So I, don't, I think you're going to see a good season at Jahan Dotson. I don't think you're going to see a – star studded, you know, season. And I think that kind of goes down the line. The running backs. When does Kenneth Walker get back? Brees Hall's going to have a Michael Carter problem for a big chunk of the for a big chunk of the year. Like that's not going away, I think. You know, Sky Moore, you know, uh Justin Watson got hurt. So he'll move up to number four. Can he eventually overtake Michael Hardman? I know a lot of people in the fantasy community think that. I've been suspect that that might take longer than some people want to believe. You know, George Pickens was the hot name all summer, you know, in, in terms of that, but they still have Deontay Johnson. You know, Mitchell Trubisky is Mitchell Trubisky. You know, they have Claypool there still, so who knows? Michael Thomas looks back. Two touchdowns yesterday. You know, Olave's, you know, Jarvis Landry looked really good in his first game in New Orleans. So I don't think any receivers are set up for like an explosion this year. I think you're gonna see some solid good performances. Maybe we get to a point where we have some wide receiver breeze. Uh, maybe Brees Hall eventually materializes into an RB2. The rest of the guys, you know, Damian Pierce was drafted by the end of by the end of draft season as a guy who people were penciling in it's an RB two. That's gotta be a wait and see now. And James Cook. Got to be stashed on your bench, Can't, unplayable until we see at least him getting those 10 to t- 11 touches
1: or nine to 10 touches. So, Zach Moss was a healthy scratch last year, right? When that yep. happens, James Cook, exactly. you got it. That's what you got to look for. Yeah, I think let's. there's one missing name and we'll get to him. but maybe just a quick hit on the guys you said were usable versus the guys we said were waiting. We had two tiers of wide receivers, right? You had Jamison Williams, Olave, Wilson, London. And you had the second tier of wide receivers, the Sky Moors, the Christian Watsons, the Pickens. And then people put Jahan Dotson, you know, drafted behind a lot of those guys sometimes. And that's not how we had it. And we had, you know, we saw Jahan Dotson as a first round pick. And I think with his game, what he's shown is he's elevated with that top tier. And he's not in the same group as, as those second round picks. But the name that we're missing here is Traylon Burks, Right. He had uh, three catches, five targets, 55 yards. One what of what the most interesting things here is that he had a low snaps share. He had, you know, 50, 60% of, sh- of snaps. He was a package player. And yet he still managed to be able to find some production on the level of his peers. So I think that what that means is there's room to grow here as he integrates more into the offense, as he becomes a full time player, he can maybe have that high ceiling that we were looking for as sort of that AJ Brown replacement. The only thing that's kind of getting in the way, maybe, is Kyle Phillips. Kyle Phillips um, had some little draft loves as a day three guy. Nine targets, led the team, six catches, sixty six yards. You know, let's hit hit Traylon Burks. We do kind of know where you stand on him, and and I think that you're optimistic maybe the other question for you here is, is can Kyle Phillips be that Hunter Renfro level guy that comes out of this draft class?
0: Yeah. You you just said it. You, that was the, that was the guy I was going to bring up. I watched this game start to finish because you know, they were, they were facing the giants this week. So it wasn't bouncing around during, during a giants game. So I watched these two players very closely. Traylon Burks package player for now, he's going to take, he's going to take the outside job, from Nick westbrook akini I think where this, I think where the interesting part is, though, is see, I think right now Traylon Burks would be at his best if he was playing a big slot type role early on in his career. But Kyle Phillips is going to make that really hard. Ryan Tannehill already has complete confidence and trust in, in Kyle Phillips. You saw it on some of the passes he was willing to throw to him. You saw it a big play that set him up for what many many thought would be the game winning field goal before Bullock missed it. Kyle Phillips is going to be that guy that he had his fans who who thought great route runner, uh a guy who can instantly become a starting slot. I think he's gonna be that slot. And it was just one game coming off a major injury, but Robert Woods didn't look like the Robert Woods that we know. I think he'll I think he'll be okay. But I think Kyle Phillips has a chance to be a guy right off the bat this year, catch 60, 65 passes. And I'm not sure a lot of people are predicting that. And I do think Traylon Burks all the summer stuff that seems to be out the window already in this offense, the amount of times they're going to be able to get him on quick hits and slants, and then utilize his after the catch ability. I think the way they run their offense through Derrick Henry is going to open up those play action, quick hitters to trail on Burks and let him like you talked about room to grow. I think he'll be a full time player by week four or five, and by that he'll be the, he'll be the starter
1: in two wide sets. I think yeah, that, whether that's play action and he's sneaking down a slant behind the or a crosser over behind the linebackers, just <laughs> they get sucked up inevitably trying to hit Henry or those RPOs, right, as an extension of the run game almost. And I think oh. you know, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say the one issue they have though, their receivers don't
0: really their receivers. They're missing something. Robert Woods mm-hmm. is see, I feel like I, my one concern about Traylon Burks is are they gonna put him in a position to ask him to do things that he's not really best at? Like they had him running some like go routes and and stuff yesterday. Like, that's not his game. Like, but they don't really have a true X on their team right now. That's not Robert Woods' game. Robert Woods has never been that. Robert Woods is like the prototypical, you know, Z kick inside back and forth from between the slot and the Z guy. They don't really have that prototype. They don't have a burner. They have no speed in terms of like straight line speed uh, at all in terms of their wide receiver group. So I do fear that they're going to ask him to maybe do something that he's not ready to do and just play on the outside exclusively because of how good Kyle Phillips has looked. And they're going to ask him to run those, those, those vertical routes. That's not really Traylon Burks' game right now. Now, if he starts showing that, oh, then we're then we're really cooking because yeah. we well, never we've seen that before, that.
1: right? Jeff, Justin Jefferson was only a slot player. A.J. Brown was only a slot player, right? Yep. It It's, you, it's very hard to project this sometimes. I, I think my one final wrap-up before we hit the Dynasty report as we're nearing an hour here, but um, I think that Kyle Phillips window, it sounds like you're a buyer and I think it's still open. And so that's something where, you know, that's probably one thing to, to maybe put some feelers out there because it seems like he's gonna be a usable flex player for you, maybe, you know, within maybe with Ryan Tannehill for a couple of years here. Let's go straight to the to the dynasty um the stock report. We're gonna hit skip the quick hits and probably have a couple names here because week one typically has some. Pretty big shifts. And just starting at the quarterback, I know you want to hit it, uh, hit Jalen Hurts. Um, he's stock up for you. Why is he stock up for you?
0: Yeah, I I was I've been very reluctant. I always love Jalen Hurts the player, gritty, tough, but I was always very reluctant last year if you listen to this show. Because I didn't think Philly was all in on Jalen Hurts. And I still am not sold that they are. If they, you know, if he comes up you know, poorly in, in a big playoff game or, or whatever, I could still see them saying our window is now, if, a, if, a, you know, they went hard for Russell Wilson, that he didn't want to go there. They were in on Deshaun Watson at once upon a time. So I'm not sure they're sold on Jalen hurts, but what I've, what I've come to realize and why I'm going to be moving about my dynasty ranks is he has shown enough that even if he's not the starting quarterback of the Eagles, they're going to be able to flip him if they want to choose a different path. They'd they'd be able to flip him and get like a high second round pick, if not a, a first round pick for Jalen Hurts. There's enough poor quarterbacks floating around the league that Jalen Hurts has showed enough in a short amount of time and you combine it with the athleticism and how all the positive things you hear about him in terms of his character and work ethic that I think it's not if he doesn't make it in Philadelphia – As a big star, he's going to be a backup quarterback. I think he. I think unless the wheels just fall off, the you know this season, I think he could be good but not great. And the Eagles still try to upgrade. I still think he'd end up being traded then for decent compensation and be a quarterback somewhere else. So I don't think he's going away in the next couple win. Next, like short window, and then you combine the athleticism, the rushing ability that part of his game is right up there with the guys that we love in terms of the dual threat. He's great by the red zone. He, he's showing improvement in his passing acumen. So I think it just has to be stock up as much as I don't want to see the Eagles be good as a Giants fan. <laughs> you know, I think, I think the Eagles are going to be a dangerous team. Like if I, if you, if somebody made me pick right now, I, I think they're a legitimate contender, like real legitimate contender in the, in, in the NFC.
1: Yeah. I mean the NFC East looks, I mean, Congrats oh, yeah, on the they're going to the Giants, but yeah, the, they're going to the, walk, the walk away with the NFC East. Yeah, gonna, the tax that injury, situation. although yeah. you know we don't have to mention it too much, but you know that's makes it a lot less competitive. It does. I, I'm with you, um, and honestly, it's actually really refreshing to see uh, an organization with a little bit of patience and you know letting a guy build up his talents and doing it in a really smart way. It's it's kind of what we saw with Lamar in Baltimore. And and I do think, you know, it's not that Jalen Hurts wasn't the passing prospect that Lamar was, but that doesn't mean he can't develop that. And I think he is. And I think that is stock up and, and I was too low on him. And I do think he has to be, I, I mean, I would take him over any one of the 2021 rookie QBs at this point, over yes. Lawrence, over, even over Trey Lance. And, and I'm a yes. huge that's... Trey Lance fan. So yep. that's that's that's, that's not the good. move. Yeah, I got
0: I and I, and that's the perfect scenario. I I've been reluctant to put them over those guys, thinking that they had longer staying power. I'm not sure anymore. Not like, anymore. I think, I, I'm like, because let's be honest, like, and we don't. We'll we'll save this for another day because I don't want to knock them yeah. off of one game in in a monsoon for parts of that game. But no, like, yeah, are, are we sure if the if the things go off the the rails in in San Francisco? Are we sure Trey Lance even gets this whole year? And if he doesn't get this whole year, then, then we can't commit to him in fantasy and think he's a guaranteed top 12 quarterback. And I've been reluctant to put Jalen Hurts over those guys that we know very little about except projecting. I think we're starting to know at least what Jalen Hurts is, and he's still got an arrow that's pointed up. Who knows how high it can go? While the other guys we're waiting to even see if they can make it as solid NFL starters. It's just got to be Hurts above most of those, all of those guys. He's got to go up in that next tier after the Burrow and Herbert tier. He'll Mm -hmm. fall in, he'll fall in right there for me. Yeah, I'll have to.
1: I love that debate with Lance too, and and I do. I will rank Hurts above him, but that's that's a great one for another day. I really want to hit. You know, we have Saquon Barkley as a big stock riser, so we have to hit that. And I'm just going to pair him with a a a pretty big stock faller here, uh, Cam Akers, major stock down. I don't know. Do you want first crack at this, Paul? Sure. I mean, listen, I I went out on a limb in all my
0: redraft leagues this year. I had Saquon Barkley as my fifth overall running back after the big four, and I picked him in the first round. I took him as high as eight eight in one draft. Like I was all in on Saquon Barkley. Week one, if it proved anything, I think if most redraft leagues could have a new draft tonight, I think he's the arguably the fourth running back, maybe even the third running back mm-hmm. taken because that we, this is the guy who, if he's healthy could be the best running back in football. Mm-hmm. I said it, I think he's going to be a top five pick in fantasy next year. I, I don't know if he's going to be on the giants next year. That is going to be a, who knows scenario. He's going to, I think he's going to put the giants in, you know, using a baseball reference, basically forcing The Giants hand, very similar to what Aaron Judge is doing for the Yankees in his walk year. I think he's going to put them in a no-win situation of either have to commit to a running back, big money, or let him walk out the door off of a 2,000-yard season in terms terms of total yards. The speed, the explosion is back. We saw him put his head down and run with more power than I've ever seen him in his entire NFL career. Dable's going to feature him. So Mm -hmm. huge stock up on him. Cam Akers, I don't know if it's the injury. I don't know if it's doghouse, but massive stock down on him. I do think he's going to work his way back up. But a guy who we thought was on the trajectory of being like an RB1, RB2 before the injury, and then we said, okay, maybe he can get back. Now it's a little bit of an unknown in terms of what we saw in terms of his usage
1: opening night. Yeah, notebook subscribers will – uh see my unwavering belief in Saquon Barkley who's always been, you know, in my top, you know, 3-4 dynasty running backs just because I believe in the talent, I believe in that explosiveness. You're right the situation's interesting, but he'll find a home. Could you imagine Saquon in the Shanahan scheme? Goodness gracious. Um I think Acres is a really interesting conversation because, you know, Saquon Barkley like it's obvious. You should have bought into him. If you didn't buy into him, you missed your boat. If you did, you just got massive value. And my fantasy he carried my fantasy teams last weekend. So um Cam Akers, I had a good discussion on Twitter where, you know, there's a lot of talk about potentially buying low on Cam Akers. You send a second because the prospect that you draft with a second round draft pick isn't gonna be the same profile that Cam Akers was. And I don't know that I could do that. Mostly because what is this the best case scenario for for cam acres when you look at this season or or sort of the the, the short term future i mean they were already before doghouse and everything going into camp even before they were both hurt and it was a 50 50 split with henderson and acres and i think even if acres works his way back that's what he's working his way back to is a split backfield with daryl henderson he'd have to outshine henderson and Honestly, I don't think we've seen – we've seen that ever happen. Henderson at his best, I don't think we've ever seen Cam Akers play as good as Henderson at his best. So – and then, you know, maybe they let uh, Henderson walk after this year, but is it only going to be Cam Akers? Is it going to be like a Rashad Penny situation? Or like Rashad Penny, are they going to invest in another back? And I think they'd have to. So I just – there's not a situation where I see Cam Akers – the only way he's returned value is when he's had a massive workload. And I just don't see a path for that happening to him anymore. And so I I don't think I can shell out a buy low for Cam Akers. He's just he already was a little bit down in my ranks. And I don't know if I'll be able to dock him any lower because this is kind of what I was projecting, but it scares me.
0: Yeah, I, I think I think you're justified in saying that. We've seen guys come back from you know, the, you know, the torn Achilles quicker than ever, but you know, a lot of guys, it takes years, you know? So like everybody's different in terms of that. I love Cam Akers, the player coming out of Florida state, you know? So if he could get back to that guy, then yeah, I'd be interested. But as you said, I'm not sure he's far enough into his NFL career now draft Capital doesn't matter if they don't think he could be the best at this point it's not he's not he wasn't a first round pick he wasn't top five he was a day two pick teams teams draft day two running backs, and they never materialize into being great players some make it some don't like I don't think that matters anymore now it's is he healthy enough? can he play
1: i'll I'll do one more quick hit on the running back because you mentioned the Achilles, you know otherwise I was going to skip him but the only reason I didn't buy into more James Robinson this year. Uh, this offseason was because of that Achilles. And goodness, he looked like vintage James Robinson. And maybe it's because his game wasn't relied on athleticism. But I I feel maybe it was right process to not buy into a guy coming off the Achilles injury, but I feel bad about not doing it. I'm going to jump over to the wide receivers because we'll have more time to talk about them later. Um, Just some major stock up. A.J. Brown. Stock up, 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 up. Michael Pittman, stock up for me. CeeDee Lamb, I think that's going to be a really good discussion as a stock down player. And then I know you want to touch on Kadarius Toney's limited stats being kind of this year's Brandon Ayuk. But let me just – A.J. Brown is a guy I've had just a massive crush on for a long time, just ever since his rookie year, and he just exploded. And he's been – one of the most efficient wide receivers in the league. He's been absolutely dominant and we just haven't seen him get the volume. On Sunday, we saw him get 13 targets and basically just everything in the Philly passing game went to AJ Brown and, you know, Devonte Smith and Goddard are good players and AJ Brown had five more targets than both of those combined if we see if this is the type of usage we see with aj brown maybe not 13 targets every week but you know 10 you know 12 9 11 like we are going to see a top three fantasy wide receiver season out of him because he's that good and it's only been about usage and people worried about the philly philly passing or philly offense maybe being more run heavy not necessarily passing a lot if even if they don't pass, they're they're a league average passing team. As long as everything's going to A.J. Brown at like a Devontae Adams-like level, I think he's good enough to be a top three wide receiver. And then I know you've been more reticent about Michael Pittman. I've always been a pretty big fan. I think he showed he's a true alpha. He was the guy in the, the indie passing game. I don't know if you have any comments there. If you are you not buying in yet or are you changing your mind a little bit? No, listen, I think Michael
0: Pittman's a good player. And I, and I think I think he's gonna be their lead guy and put up a really good statistical season. I just I felt like the the hype for Michael Pittman was was approaching like a Mike Evans level, and I'm more of like Vincent Jackson, like good player, good wide receiver too. I don't I'm I don't think we're gonna see even this year where he's going to get heavy volume, I'm not sure we're going to see like a top 10 season. Maybe the volume's there enough. Like, But like you talk about A.J. Brown, like to me there's there's a, a talent disparity between a guy like Michael Pittman and A.J. Brown. Oh, just definitely. Just A.J. Brown like,
1: is a top three wide right receiver for yeah, like I, I think Pittman is about a top 12-15.
0: Like I watch A.J. Brown and it just drives me crazy that a team traded him before his rookie contract was even up. This is the dream scenario. You draft the guy in round two, and this is what he becomes. And you don't even keep him for his second contract. You don't even let him play out his rookie contract and a franchise tag. Nothing. And it's like, this is what you want. Like, you're a win-now team. You were the one seed in the AFC last year. It was a confounding move that we came on air and talked about the night of opening round of the draft. It's still a mind-boggling decision by Tennessee Philly reaped the benefits they were on the odd man out for round one wide receiver because they were all gone except Traylon Burks if they wanted him and they turned their draft pick oh into AJ Brown who I I feel pretty confident saying none of these round one rookie wide receivers end up being nearly as good as what AJ Brown could bring to the table and they got him at whatever that pick was 17 or 18 you know Obviously, they had to pay him, and I understand that. But, but he he's a special player. With him being way, way up, and I agree with you. I am not sure, though, in the way they play, it leaves much meat, enough meat on the bone for Devonta Smith more than a low end wide receiver reflex. So, I do yes. think he's hurt by AJ Brown's ascension into what we think is going to be a, a clear top five, top seven type season, maybe even our you know top three. But with Jefferson and Cup and Chase, that, you know, it might have. I mean, have he was th- right there with yeah, him, though. He was right there know. this week. I just, Kenny, can can Kenny, I can he don't know that we're going to see
1: Yeah, I don't know that we're going to see it concentrated at this level. This was like a Devontae Adams, like dominated co- target concentration level. So I don't know. I think. Smith is too good. Goddard is too good. I do think that's going to even out a little bit. I don't, it's not 13 targets every week. It's going to be, there's going to be somewhere, there's going to be a week or two where Smith does out target him. But, you know, I, I do think this, they didn't trade for him. They didn't pay him to not use him. And that's what they showed week one. And so, yeah, I, I just finally feel justified that my belief, my belief in his talent, even amidst all of the swirling situation of <laughs> of doubt amongst the Philly Philly offense going to use him or not um finally uh finally unwavering faith is paying off
0: yeah it's, there's it, and and it's going to because i mean he was a guy you know anyone who's been a long time listener he was my wide receiver one that year and nobody had that it, that was the Nikhil Harry year the DK Metcalf and i loved AJ Brown and listen A.J. Brown, the only, thing that, the only thing that's held A.J. Brown back ever has been injuries. If he stays on the football field, he, he's just a beast. He's an absolute beast. And you hope that injuries don't derail him like, you know, um, he's better than Hakeem Nix ever was. But Hakeem Nix was a really good player who I watched very closely in New York that had injuries derail him, right? They just kept adding up, adding up. And then once, you know, and then it, it, it just warped him of what he could be. AJ Brown is obviously not there yet, but that's really the only thing that could stop AJ Brown. He's a physical freak when he's on the football field, and, and he's going to be a really, really tough uh, player in that Philly offense, which is more diversified than
1: even the Tennessee offense. Let's take, um, you know, let's take our stock down, you know, players to round us out. And um, okay, so I know Kadarius Tony. I I you tweeted out it's criminal usage to give him seven snaps and. On the two touches he's given, he's looking like the most electric player on the field. I think this is just a matter of time. You know, we, I called him the, the, you kind of called him, uh, you know, when we were going to talk about him, the Brandon Ayuk of this year. And, you know, that's eventually Ayuk emerged out and, you know, was, you know, used pretty well last year for San Francisco. I, I don't think we're going to see Tony be on the shelf. For too long, they just—if they have any hopes for this season for anything—they're going to use them. Yeah, I'll, I mean, I'll leave that up to you. I—I I don't. It's a stock down, but I think it's a temporary one. It's not one that I'm going to bury him. I actually think that's one that I'm feeling okay about
0: buying. Yeah, like listen, and, and a stock down just from the general right now. Like I was ready, I was all in this year, thinking he was going to have this monster year, and I would still buy him right now because I believe in the talent, but. This is two regimes now that he's had something, some issues with, right? It's just been last year for a while. They would only use him on these bit packages. Then eventually they've had a lot, they had a lot of injuries and he was kind of forced into action, looked great. And then injuries derailed that. And now this year, there's always something. And I, they claim he was healthy yesterday, but they didn't let him run a route. He ran no routes. Not one single route. They only used him on run plays, motion, and they handed it off. Or he ran zero routes. No targets, zero routes, run, seven snaps. The whole game. I don't know. It's, it was an injury. Because you saw it on the play that he didn't make. It's not an injury. He was making people miss. If they were going to like say, oh, we want to kind of bump up his usage because he didn't play in the preseason. I feel like that would have been viable if it was like 20 snaps, 25 snaps, zero routes run and seven snaps. Even after Wendell
1: Robinson left the game after the first drive. Mm -hmm. The only thing that makes sense in my mind is that it's a grasp of the offense. hundred percent. Assignment sound maybe. Um, But they're if that's the problem they they're, they're going to work if they're at all good coaches they're going to work to close that gap with him because they need him on the field and they need him to be able to grasp that and they need him out there making plays so if that's the gap right now like they're going to work to get that closed i hope so i my
0: my my fear my only fear is is run the draft time there was all those yeah. trade rumors yeah. like is he again we we don't have We don't know he, is he, is there something, is his character so bad or his work ethic so bad that it's just like almost like toxic to utilize him? I don't want, I don't want to believe it's that because I love the player. And well, we right. can't know. it's just, we don't speculation.
1: It's speculation.
0: Really but, it. but what we saw from Saquon, if they mm-hmm. ever incorporated Tony into yeah. that offense, I mean, listen, New York fans are excited here. Their next three games are at home against Carolina, a Dakless Cowboys, and a Chicago Bears team. Like Giants fans are dreaming about four and zero. Like we need to get we need to get more playmakers though. Saquon can't go otherworldly for two hundred yards a game. That's just not practical. I will stay with
1: it though.
0: Yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, so listen, I, I, I think there's a buying window on Kadarius Tony, but it's risky. But it's very risky because this isn't like oh. The Brandon Ayuk thing was like came out of nowhere, blip on the radar. You don't we didn't hear yeah. anything leading up to it. We've been hearing about issues with Kadarius Toney from pre-draft to his first rookie minicamp, to his rookie season, his follow his sophomore preseason. It's been continuous. So that's that's the one thing where I think we were both under the belief Brandon Ayuk was eventually going to rise back to who we thought. Tony, that's been it's been two years worth, almost a year and a half worth of always something. Yeah, injuries. Worried about him. Interested in rap. So I I do think there's there's more risk. As much as I do love the player and want to see him out there, and if he's healthy, I think you got to use him for
1: everybody's benefit. But maybe he doesn't know the playbook. Yeah. Look, I know we're running long, but I I can't I can't escape this 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 podcast here without talking a little bit about CD lamb, because I look into it this year and I, I look at the depth chart. I look at Dallas. I look at what they're looks like they're trying to do. And I, I, there's no way I don't see CD lamb as one of the five or 10 targeted players in the league and 11 targets. is not bad. He had two catches and He's got a buying window now too, probably, but you're, you're still buying at, if you are at that price that he was at that maybe top three, four, five dynasty wide receiver. And I don't know if CeeDee Lamb is that guy. I don't know if he's that top four, top five dynasty wide receiver. I, what are your thoughts there? Like, are you, are you taking this opportunity? Are you paying top five prices but getting him on your squad because you think he's going to make it there because that's the only time you can get players like this. You know, they're hurt or you know, they're, there's just something about their usage that is slightly off. And you know, like AJ Brown, right? They come back because of the talent. What do you think he's that talent? I think he's got the talent to to be a high level
0: player, but I'd be reluctant to to go and pay the price that it. I, I don't feel as safe with him as I do some of the other receivers in that neighborhood of dynasty rankings for a variety of reasons. I was very down on Dallas this year. I'm very concerned about their team now with the Dak injury, even more. So I also do envision, I know they signed Gallup to big money, but I could also see Dallas very much, very much, investing in a receiver very high in the draft again, sooner rather than later. I feel like that's something Jerry Jones would do. Uh, they have offensive line problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, they refuse to move on and minimize the work of Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, There's a lot of issues there with them. And the thing about C.D. Lamb is he hasn't proved, and not that this is a death nail, but he hasn't proved that he can be a dominating player at the next level without mm-hmm. being in the slot. Like, that's it. Yeah. He's been – and he had a guy who – he had a guy that drew the attention away from him more in Amari, in, in Amari mm-hmm. Cooper that we haven't seen him be the lead guy yet. We just kind of naturally assumed he could be. Like, we saw A.J. Brown do it and do it fast in Tennessee. We saw D.K. Metcalf do it, and Tyler Lockett was a great, you know, sidekick. But we saw D.K. Metcalf do it quickly
1: in Seattle. We haven't CD seen – was yeah, he's he's been a wide receiver too for fantasy talent. He's flashed some big flash plays. That's what I'm saying. Like, but we we kind of we kind of pushed him to that top of the
0: pecking order, but he hadn't really ever shown us that he can get there yet. It was all projection.
1: And now and, we have two months without Dak, and you're gonna what play Cooper Rush, Jimmy Garoppolo, yeah. like uh it's probably going to be the Zeke show, right? Because you're not going to put it, you're not going to drop back and pass. I, I don't know. I, I think Ceedee Lamb is a phenomenal player. I really do. But I think, I think I have to bump him down a tier because I think we we did crown him. You know, there were plenty of places he was ranked above. Probably drafted before AJ Brown you know, all off season, this, you know, people already kind of prematurely putting them up there. And, and you're right. We haven't seen that. And we're in year three now. So yeah, I mean, in my mind, he has to be with those other, I mean, he has to be a guy like oh, Deontay Johnson or Keenan Allen or Mike Williams kind of, I mean, that, that could still be in a range, you know, T Higgins, right. It could still be in that yeah. range. ten. 15, 12, Michael Pittman. Even, you know, I think he could. You know, if you're telling me that he have a better career than Michael Pittman, I would totally believe that. Even if I was very excited about Pittman and a stock up on Pittman, who would you rather have, Pittman or CD Lamb?
0: I do think the ceiling is higher on CD Lamb still, so I'd probably still go CD Lamb, but I think, I think Pittman is going to be. You're going to know what you're getting with Michael Pittman. You're going to get th- a better
1: year with Pittman this year. You're definitely getting a better year to share with Pittman. I, I, and, I don't even think that's debatable anymore. And so, yeah. So in December, so you probably should take Pittman now, get the production. And in December, you could pick Lamb back up, you know, with a little extra something. I think, I after. think the Dynasty
0: community was ready to anoint C.D. Lamb, like, right below... Like Justin Jefferson and Jamar yeah, Chase, he he was right there. He was. That, he was I, I think there. I think people felt like that's where he was, but he really didn't do anything to warrant that. Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase did. They showed in their rookie years it, what they what why they deserved to be there.
1: We haven't yeah. seen that. We
0: haven't seen and, that from CD
1: Lamb. And that's a really good point. It's sort of a retrospective that we have to take and and that sort of that breakout age kind of thing from the NFL perspective really does have to play a role we're still elevating him off his prospect profile draft capital landing spot
0: and and there wasn't and the and the thing about CD Lamb is he fell to like what 21 and there Sometimes wasn't any, anything there Somewhere wasn't, in any, there 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 behind wasn't any yeah but wasn't didn't uh oh yeah they uh a team traded I'm I'm forgetting where Rager went in relation to him. Did did he go before Rager? I think he went before and Jefferson? Rager and Jefferson. But take a look. Okay, maybe he did. But it's like he wasn't a top ten talent. He wasn't a top five talent. So like he didn't have the pedigree of Jamar Chase. He didn't. You know, I he didn't have that level of pedigree. So we put him up there. But but why was he there? Why was he that high? Why was he ahead? of a guy like Jalen Waddell, who in his first year caught 105 passes and didn't even utilize his best skill set because his quarterback can't throw the deep ball.
1: He he was pushed up a little quickly. And You'll now, have a laugh on this one. CeeDee Lamb went behind uh, in the NFL draft, Henry Ruggs at 12 and Jerry Judy at 15. And then he went uh, <laughs> and ahead and of Jalen Rager at 21. Yeah, 17. 17, okay. So, so he was 17, yeah. So, you know just another person who hasn't another player who hasn't really done it. I haven't watched the game yet, but uh, Jerry Judy, right. Just, he hasn't, hasn't shown it yet either. Um, and I think the talent is there. I really do. Like you said, the, the ceiling is there for a player like CD lamb. And guys but, can be great players out of the slot,
0: but usually that comes with another guy drawing attention on the outside. Like as great as Cooper cup is, the Rams have always had other really good guys to play alongside him. He's elevated to be the best of the bunch by far, and he's uncoverable. We got to see if CeeDee
1: Lamb now with Adamari e. Cooper could be that guy, that alpha. Maybe, yeah, could maybe he all he him. needs is Michael Gallup to come back because and Gallup that, is that's a possible. very good outside wide receiver. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Um, so it sounds like we're sounds like you're not buying at top five. I, I'm not either. It, it, it so it is a real true stock down situation. I think, um, and I'd be a little bit more patient if I knew Dak was going to be playing the next couple of months. But I just think the path for him to to rebound and and help rebuild his stock when Cooper Rush is throwing him the ball is it just it's like threading a needle. Um, I just don't know. It scares me a little bit, and like for example, could you pivot off of Ceedee Lamb for AJ Brown? I don't know if you could do that anymore, but earlier in this, earlier in the off season, earlier this summer, that's something that nine, like ten times out of ten, would get it done. So maybe that's something to try. I
0: mean, if you think about it, this year is not going to go well for Ceedee Lamb. He's going to be entering his fourth year next year, and he's not going to have any elite seasons under his belt yet he's being valued as an elite, elite level asset. Like, that's rare. Fourth season in the league, he's not going to have one elite season on his record, but he's being valued as an elite asset. And I don't think the Dallas offense is going to flip a switch back to be some great offense. Now listen, maybe the word is, maybe Sean Payton gets there and, and they have a great offense next year and a much better scheme. Who knows? But three seasons under his belt. He's not going to have an elite season under any of those three yet. He's being valued as an elite, elite level dynasty asset. I think he's got to come down a little bit. I got to get to my rankings already after one week. I feel like I got to get into my rankings and, and start making adjustments already based on late in the preseason, based on now week one of the NFL season. I do feel like there's a lot to change. So, Jeff, any final parting thoughts before we get out of here?
1: No. Why don't we wrap it up for, for the night?
0: So, guys, if you're enjoying this content, please get over to the website, ssfootball.com. Check out our premium content tab. Get the notebooks now. Maximize them for the entire NFL and college football season. And take we'll take you right through the draft and post-draft next year as well. So, on behalf of Jeff, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, Thank you for joining us and we look forward to next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.